Good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So nice to see all of you this morning. I don't know what got me more excited. The scriptural, God and Christ-centered lyrics that we sang this morning. Those were thrilling. Those lifted our hearts, our souls into the heavenlies. They caused our minds to focus on the truths of scripture sung to beautiful melodies. And the music ministry we have here is amazing when you consider so few and the sound, both voice and instrumentation, that comes out. I'm floored by it. It is a great blessing from the Lord. The Lord has blessed this church with this music ministry under the leadership of Paul DeMano. And and he shows so much discernment and wisdom in the scriptural songs that we sing, whether they be more traditional hymns, as some of them were last week, or more modern hymns. They're not just songs. They are hymns in the true biblical sense. As much as that thrilled me, and as much as hearing Gilson lead in singing thrills me, I was thrilled by his reading of the scriptures. Last week, our brother David preached from Psalm 84, and he said, it has been called the pearl of the Psalms, and that is true. It has been. But I would like to tell you, Psalm 37 is a gem of the Psalms as well. It is beautiful, Psalm 27. I think I said 37, I don't know. Psalm 27, it's right there on the screen. Don't let me fool any of you. Psalm 27, I have my wife to thank for that. She's mouthing to me, 27, and I thank her for that. What would I do without her? I'd be lost. This is a Psalm of David. As you can tell from the verses that our brother Gilson read, he's surrounded by enemies, by adversaries. They encamp against him. That's because in those days, the generals marched out in the front behind the king. The king went to battle first. In fact, it's very interesting in 2 Samuel chapter 11, in verse 1 it says, in the springtime when kings go out to battle, David tarried in Jerusalem. Do you know what happened then? He saw Bathsheba or Bathsheba bathing on the roof. And sin entered David's life. And his life was changed forever. He reaped the consequences of that sin, adultery and murder, the rest of his life. He had great privilege, and so he had great responsibility. One of the beautiful things about the Psalms is not only are many of them, they're they're songs that were sung, but many of them are prayers. And this Psalm contains multiple references addressing the Lord. It is a prayer. The beautiful thing about the Psalms is we relate to them personally. And one of the greatest blessings that the Psalms can have is not only reading them, but memorizing them and meditating on them. 
Now, many of you here perhaps have already memorized the six verses of Psalm 23. I, I would like to challenge you over the next 14 weeks, one verse a week, memorize this psalm. One verse a week. That's it. If you can do more, fine. But one verse a week. I've spent a lot of time memorizing Scripture ever since I was first saved. It's not the memorization simply that fills the mind. It's moving it from the mind to the heart, and that's done by meditation. There are different ways to meditate. It's not Eastern Buddhist meditation, which empties the mind. No, Christian meditation fills the mind with God's Word and thinks about it, mulls it over, contemplates it, and moves it to the heart. And one of the best ways to meditate, there's others, but one of the best ways is to pray the Scripture back to God. You can do that without memorizing. You can have the Bible open in front of you and you can read a phrase, one line of a verse, and you can pray that back to the Lord. And I'm going to try and model or illustrate that for you in the closing prayer this morning. I don't know what... I don't write the prayers out. I don't think about them ahead of time. I don't know what parts of this psalm I will pray back to the Lord, but I'll try to model that for you, praying Scripture back to God, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will impress upon you how you can pray. Look, this, this is going to make God so real in your lives. Draw your hearts close to Him. Knit your hearts in love to Him. It's done it for me, and if it can do it for me, it'll do it for you. Look, in high school, I was called Spock, and it's not just because I have pointy ears and green blood, okay? I'm not the most emotional person. I, very different than what you might see up here sometimes, but I'm excited about this psalm. And so, I just want to help you this morning, and then we're going to get right into this psalm. I want to show you how I memorize Scripture. And I'm going to want you to repeat back together what I say. We're going to memorize the first line of verse 1. There's four lines there. We're just going to do the first one. The Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is my. The Lord is my. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. When I memorize, you just learned it, the first line right there. What is it? Wow, you all are amazing. Now, some of you will be able to do it faster than others. It doesn't matter. It's not speed. You'll need to repeat this over and over. When, when the next week when you're learning verse 2, still do verse 1. But by that point, verse 1 in its entirety ought to be easy. You could write this out on a 3 by 5 card, if anyone remembers what those are. Put Psalm 27 verse 1 on one side, and on the line side, write it out. Try to keep few words on a line. In the case of a psalm, maybe the whole line, maybe the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
you need room, you might make two columns and do it that way. If you use a, a Bible on a phone, uh, make the columns narrow, or maybe if it has double columns, and cover it over and slide down. Say the words and slide down. Did you get them right? No, slide whatever's hiding the words back up, say them again. You just saw them, you were corrected, slide them down and go little by little. That's how I actually do this. But I always talk, whether it be a, a loud whisper, softer than this, or whether I talk. I want my ears to hear. I want my eyes to see and my ears to hear God's word. Because then I have two senses involved. And I remember things. Everyone remembers things better that way. Ask any school teacher, and they will tell you, seeing and hearing, you'll remember more than either seeing alone or hearing alone. Put them both together. I can tell you, I used to do this driving to work, commuting to work, 25-minute commute. I would go over Scripture, 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 to work, coming home. Sometimes, I'd, you know, out of my peripheral vision, there's a car next to me. It's not moving. It's not passing me. I'm a slowpoke in the right-hand lane. But they're not passing me. I look over, and there's this person looking at me because my mouth is going. I'm saying them out loud as I'm driving. This was before cell phones. You're not talking to anybody. But I'm going like this more than once. They're giving me this strange look like, what in the world am I doing? No matter. I was fellowshipping with the Lord through His Word. Okay, if you like titles, the title of today's message is The Lord Is. Now, the Lord is a lot of things, but this psalm is going to give us some very specific things that the Lord is. In this psalm, the Lord is revealed as the sustainer of your life, not just King David's life, but the truths there in this psalm are truths for every one of us here this morning who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Lord is revealed as the sustainer of your life. This comes out again and again in each of the stanzas of this psalm. If you take only one thing away this morning from this time in God's Word, let it be this. Always turn to the Lord first in all of life's circumstances and wait patiently for Him. That's what I want you to take away if you take nothing else away. I would like you to memorize the psalm, but this is the main truth that I'd like you to see and be able to apply to your life day by day in every circumstance. The psalm has four stanzas. There's some similarity between them, especially the second and third stanza, and certain themes of enemies are repeated, but there's four stanzas. We're going to see the Lord is your protector. The Lord is to be desired by you. The Lord is to be sought by you. And the Lord is to be patiently waited on. So let's get right into this with the Lord is your protector. You already know this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Notice the word Lord. Many English translations, when they capitalize all four letters of Lord... That is the divine name. We're going to encounter that when we study the life of Moses in Exodus 3.14. Moses has said to the, to the Lord, well, you want me to go back? Who should I say sent me? What is the name of this God 
The Egyptians have a lot of gods. What is your name? Who do I tell the people and tell Pharaoh who has sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Tell them, I am. Yahweh has sent me. Yahweh is the divine name of God. It is the covenant name of God. He is Yahweh to people in covenant relationship with him. When it's all capitals, this is the divine name of God, Yahweh. Covenant relationship. This is why the Lord is David's light, your light. This is why he is your salvation, because you're in covenant relationship with him. He has bound himself in covenant relationship with you. An unconditional covenant through the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're in that covenant relationship with God, He is your light. Think about this for a minute. Most of you, when you get up, what do you do? Especially if you're, uh, there's no one else in the room with you. You put on a light. Or maybe you had a nightlight going all night long. People tend to put on lights. After dark, they go from one room to the next room. What's the first thing that often happens? You put a light on so you can see clearly, so you don't stumble and fall, so you don't knock something over, you don't bump into something, you don't stub your toe. Light is very important. Psalm 119 says in verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. You know, there's no light that can be seen all around the globe at the same time. Not the sun. The sun only illuminates half at one point in time. But Christ is the light of the whole world. God and Christ are the only ones who can illuminate the whole world. The Lord is your light. By his light or in his light, we see light. His light dispels all the darkness. He is not only your light, he is your salvation. You can claim that for yourself through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's salvation in David's mind. This word, you could also translate it, he is my deliverance. He is my rescue. The Lord is your rescuer. David is thinking just temporally of rescue from his enemy, enemies, armies against him, Philistines and other people. But for the believer in Christ... God is our eternal light, our eternal salvation. The implications of light and salvation is that there's no fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This one's going to be easier for you to memorize. The second line. Four words. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Now You, you got it already. Four words all together. It's that easy. These are the implications of the light of God and the salvation of God. We never need to fear. 
Perfect love casts out fear. In the context, in 1 John, that perfect love is the salvation of God. The perfect love He showed us in sending His Son to be the Savior of the world. It casts out fear because fear involves judgment. And there is no longer any judgment or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The implications of light and salvation is there is no need to fear. Hebrews 13, we covered that not too long ago. What does it say there? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Quoting from Deuteronomy. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Psalm 118. What shall man do to me? They can't do anything. Jesus Christ said, do not fear him who can destroy the body. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear God, not man. And when the Lord is your light and salvation, there's nothing to fear. Oh, yes, I understand Easier said than done. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, there's probably numerous circumstances in life the Lord could allow to come upon me, and I would fear. I, I'll admit that. I'll raise my hand. But I don't need to fear. I could be victorious, just like all of us. He doesn't allow any trial in this life that we cannot be victorious over. If He allows it, we can have the victory. We sung about that. The Lord is your defense. The Lord is the defense of my life. The Lord is the defense of my life. Here a defense has the idea of a refuge, a hiding place. The Lord is our hiding place. The Lord is our defense our refuge, and it's not just a saving deposit box where you can put some valuables and hopefully it's not robbed. He is the savings deposit box of your life. And not just your life on this earth, but your eternal life. He is your defender. He is your refuge. He is the one we should run to. And what are the implications of this? Fact that the Lord is our defense. Your life is safe. Whom shall I dread? These are parallel lines. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? No one. These are rhetorical questions. They expect a no for an answer or a negative answer. No, no one, nothing. There is nothing to fear. There is no one to dread. The Lord is your defender. Your life is safe. No one can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing anyone does to you, no circumstance that comes upon you, nothing you do, your life is safe because he holds it safe. No one is able to snatch you out of God's hand. 
Romans 8, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor breadth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your life is safe because God holds it safe. The results of being to you who he is, the results of him being to, to you who he is, there's no fear and you have confidence. You also have victory. Victory will come out more strongly later on. But in verse 2, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. There's victory there in verse 2. In verse 3, we have though a host encamp against me. My heart will not fear. The war rise against me. In spite of this, I shall have confidence. There's no fear. There's no confidence. The results of him being to you who you are. Not just fear, but you can have confidence. You can have holy boldness in the name of the Lord to live for him, to serve him as you know you should, to worship him. We've seen the Lord as our protector. Now he is to be desired. The first stanza focused on who he is and everything flows out of that. It doesn't center around us. It centers around who he is. And then it all flows from that. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I shall seek. One thing. Now, David asked a lot of things. And you and I in prayer ask a lot of things, don't we? We recognize we have needs. We are a needy people. We are not in control of our life and our life circumstances. Yes, sometimes we make decisions. But ultimately, it is God. The die is cast, the Scripture says. But it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast. The die is cast. The Lord knows what it's, what it's going to come up as. You and I don't. That God has ordained. One thing this morning, if I were to ask you, if you had only one guaranteed prayer request that would be answered exactly like you want it to be answered, and you can't say, oh, oh, I'd pray for a hundred more pray uh, answered prayers. No, no, none of that. One thing, one thing only. What would it be? What would you want? Oh, Lord, I got to win Powerball. Oh, Lord, bring that special someone into my life. Uh, whatever it happens. Oh, Lord, grant me healing. Now, some of these things are important. Maybe not Powerball, but... Sometimes if someone is facing a catastrophic illness. You know, these are not trivial things. They're never to be laughed at. They ought to be prayed for by the individual and by all those who love the individual, the church family. But here, one thing. He has the Lord must be desired. And here, every desire, if it's a true desire, we ask the Lord about it. We pray about what we most desire to have the Lord come to pass 
in our life. That's what we pray about. Desires express themselves in prayer. Have you ever prayed for something you don't want? You might pray, oh, I hope that doesn't come to pass, Lord. Don't send me to the mission field. It's not what David and Allie are praying. They want to go serve the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about not praying that something doesn't happen. I'm talking about no prayer at all. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I shall seek. There's more involved than just asking. They're seeking. Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount said this, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. If I were to translate that more clearly from the original Greek language that Matthew wrote that in, here's what the Lord said. Keep on asking and you will keep on receiving. Keep on seeking and you will keep on finding. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Not that it'll continually be open. You open a door once, it's open. How do you open a fully open door more? You can't. So there's not a keep on there. The door's open. That I shall seek. If there's something we really, truly desire, we will ask and we will seek. Here he states his desire. The one thing... How does our one thing measure up to David's? One thing I've asked of the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Think about this. Here's a king, David. He's living in a palace. At this time, the temple was not yet built. Solomon would build the temple. David's son. Here, it's a tent. You know, tent almost conjures up image of the homeless. This was the tabernacle that, moved, that could be moved about in the wilderness. Now it was in one location, but it was still a tent. Rather than his palace, he wants to dwell in a tent. Why? Because it's not just any tent. It's the house of the Lord. Why is it the house of the Lord? Because God's presence was there. That's where the very presence of God, the Shekinah or Shekinah glory was in the holiest of holy places. And he just didn't want to dwell there on Sunday mornings. He wanted to dwell there all the days of his life. What he's saying here is, I want to be in God's presence and experience all his good favor every day of my life. He would only experience that good favor in God's presence. Thanks be to God that the, we don't have to go somewhere to be in God's presence. According to the teachings of the New Testament, everyone who's placed saving faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's presence dwells in us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God's presence is in us. But David wanted to live in that presence all the days of his life. How did our one thing measure up to David's? Give David this and color him happy. 
He's a happy camper. How about you and I? If we could experience the presence of the Lord in a powerful way, all you have to do is look in Acts 16. You want to see how powerful that is? Paul and Silas are in a dungeon in Philippi with their ankles chained to the ground. A stinking dungeon. I'm not going to go into detail of what it was like. But about midnight, and they'd been beaten with rods. They're bruised, they're sore, they're, they're bleeding. They're in bad shape physically. But about midnight, Paul and Silas are singing psalms and hymns of praise to God. They rose above their circumstances. They were dwelling, as it were, in the house of the Lord, even when they were in that dungeon in Philippi. Does that describe you and I during trials in life? That we just sing psalms and hymns of praise to God. I'm not saying, oh goody, I got a terrible trial. I got to get me more of that. That's not what it's about. It's rejoicing in God, focusing on Him, feeling His good pleasure upon you no matter what's going on. Even if a host, an army encamps against you. Here's the reason for David's desire. Why he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. To behold, to see the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Don't you want to see God? And I'm not just talking about in the future when he snatches his bride up to be with himself? Or should you cross that veil of tears and awaken his presence to the sound of, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Don't you want to behold him now, each day of your life? I do. Don't you want to see his hand at work in your life? See what mighty, glorious things he will accomplish to behold the beauty of the Lord. That beauty, as we sang, he gives us beauty for ashes. His beauty. We behold his beauty, and as he changes us, that beauty starts to shine forth from our life. Yes, in a small way, just like the moon only reflects the light of the sun. But when we behold his beauty... We desire that his beauty shines forth from us and to meditate, to meditate in his temple. And this is the important part. The memorization of scripture is not the most important part. It's what you do with that, the meditation. And praying scripture back to the Lord is, in in my opinion, others may differ and, and that's fine. If it works better for them, fine. Praying scripture back to the Lord has a transforming effect. You just love him more. You just grow closer to him. It has a sanctifying effect, I believe. The reason for seeking the Lord is the recognition of need. We are a needy people. We have need. He says, for in the day of trouble, in the day there will be days of trouble, I think all of us know this, both as a church body, as a local church, as an assembly of believers. We know this church has experienced trouble. 
but even individually in our life. Perhaps every single person here has experienced some measure of trouble, but I'll tell you something. We are a blessed people. Look at your life. How few are the terrible things that have ever entered your life? Why couldn't have there been more? You read headlines on news websites on the internet, or you see them on television, or you hear them on the radio. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Whether it be war, whether it be a tornado, whether it be fires, whether it be sickness. You hear about a neighbor who was diagnosed with something. And yet so little touches our life. So few days of trouble. Why? He shields us. He keeps it away. He will conceal me in his tabernacle. In his holy place with him. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. God shields us. These troubles, the vast majority of troubles, they can't find us. They don't know where we are. They don't impact our lives because God is the one who is blessing us, shielding us and protecting us. We can thank him every day, not for only what he blesses us with, what he's done at the cross, and temporally every day what he provides, our food and shelter, finances, whatever it happens to be, we can also thank him for what doesn't come upon us. Every time we read one of those headlines or see them or hear them, we can thank him that it has not come near me. Elsewhere, the Psalms say, a thousand will fall at thy right hand and 10,000 at thy left, but it will not come near you. He will lift me up on a rock. The Hebrew word that David wrote here for a rock is not just any rock. Anyone who's studied military science or was in the military knows that the hill is the place you want to be on, the high ground. It's easier to defend that than it is to climb the hill to take that high spot from the enemy. You need more than twice as many forces to attack a defensive position. And when there's a hill involved, you need more. Here, though, this rock, it's a cliff. The Hebrew word envisions a flat cliff. Can you imagine attacking forces trying to climb up a rock cliff? Some people do rock climbing for fun but they're not carrying a gun and ammunition and they don't have people shooting at them, dropping stones on them, pouring boiling oil down on them. He lifts us up. This is the refuge. This is the defense. This is how he's our defender. He places us in a position that is inaccessible to the enemy. The last verse of this psalm will tell us how to experience that. The results of seeking the Lord are victory, worship, and rejoicing. 
And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies. Why? Because the enemies are dead on the ground. Even me. My head's above someone laying on the ground. Yours will be too. This is a picture of victory over whatever comes against you in life. He can do that. He'll set you on that rock and your head will be above your enemies. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. David doesn't use the victory as something to be squandered on himself, something that he can then do whatever he wants. No. Every victory he recognized in life became an opportunity to worship the Lord. Offer in his tent, in his tabernacle, sacrifices. Sacrifices were an act of worship. That's what he's saying here. Every victory in our life should be an occasion for worship and thanking the Lord with our whole heart. He says, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The Lord. Does he make your heart sing? Have you had that experience where you're just so overjoyed with gratitude and appreciation, not just for what he's done for you and I, but for who he is. Because anything that he's done flows out of who he is. Sing praises to the Lord. When was the last time? Ignoring this morning when we sang together. That's an easy one. Think about last week. How many times did you and I sing praises in our heart to him? Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5, 19, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Lord is not only to be desired, but he is to be sought. True desire then is seen through action, through our active seeking of the Lord. Seeking God is the cry of the heart. Now I know he says voice here, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. But we're going to see that what comes out the mouth comes from the heart. I mean, even Jesus Christ taught this. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. For what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. So whatever we cry out with our voice, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, comes from the heart. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Do we recognize that the Lord doesn't owe us anything? He didn't owe us salvation, but he bestowed it upon us as a free gift. It was not a wage that was earned. It was a free gift, the gift of eternal life. But after that, he doesn't owe us a single blessing. He never owes anyone anything. Instead, we owe him everything. Every answered prayer is grace from him. Every prayer that he says no to is grace as well. No good parent gives bad things to their children. Rather, they withhold them. If it's bad, God is a great father. He's a great parent. He doesn't raise spoiled brats. When he withholds something, 
It is for our eternal good. Everything is on the basis of grace. We earn or merit nothing. Our good works and obedience simply put us in a position where the perfect Father can bless us if He so chooses. Seeking God is the cry of the heart. If we're not crying out to Him, we're not seeking Him. We only cry out for what we truly desire. What do you and I cry out for? What, have, what did we cry out for this past week or this past month? Seeking God is a real heart concern that produces a sense of unworthiness of His grace. Here, David in verse 9. He says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon or forsake me, O God of my salvation. He recognizes that, that these are possibilities that God could do this if God so chose. It produces a sense that there's nothing in me that demands that God does not forsake me. It's what he's promised, though. But there's nothing in me. I am unworthy of such blessing from God. God doesn't owe us anything. Everything is on the basis of grace. When you're in God's presence and you're truly seeking him, you and I will never feel that God owes us anything but we will be grateful for everything that he bestows upon us and what he withholds in his infinite wisdom, mercy, grace, and love from us. That's why sometimes things we might pray for are not bestowed. God is using his infinite mercy, grace, wisdom, and love to keep us from that which would not benefit us. Seeking God produces assurance. David says here, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. Now, there's no biblical record that shows that they abandoned him as far as I can recall. Forsake could also in some cases, and maybe here has the idea of being left behind. David came to the throne at age 30. He reigned for 40 years. He died when he was 70. His parents may have died before him. They left him on this earth. But look, the Lord has taken him up. The Lord has adopted him. You know what this reminds me of? We're going we're gonna to learn about this very soon when we begin the life of Moses. Pharaoh wanted all the, all the male babies of Israel to be put to death. But Moses' parents, they, they entrusted him to, to a, a, a young woman a caregiver, and she put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile. And that basket got stuck on some reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter notices it and tells them, go take up the basket and bring it to me. Moses was rescued in that way. The Lord can take us all up. He cared for David David is picturing himself here as an orphan. And the life of an orphan in the ancient world was not a pleasant one. 
it became the life of a beggar as a child, begging on the streets very often, if no one in the family took them up. Here, his father and mother have passed. They have left him. But the Lord adopts him and takes him up and makes him his own. That's what God has done for you and I. The New Testament doctrine of adoption. God has adopted us into his family. All of us, men and women, sons of God. Sons because we all inherit the kingdom of God. This should produce assurance. The Lord will always take you up. He will always hold you. He, even if everyone else forsakes you, He will not. He is always there for you. And lastly, the Lord is to be patiently waited on. Wait patiently for His teaching. That will guide you. David's prayer, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. You know, a crooked path. One that's bumpy. That's harder to hike than a level path. A path going up a hill is harder to hike. Trust me, even a path going downhill when you're wearing a backpack is harder to hike. A level's the easiest. Path going downhill, gravity is not your friend, okay? You can easily stumble and fall. A level path, it is God's word, the teaching of God's word. That's why we stress God's word here at Grace Gospel Church. Not because I think it's a good thing, but because the scriptures think it's a good thing. We see it over and over again. We can't escape God's word. Teach me your way, O Lord. When was the last time you and I ever prayed that to the Lord? Teach me your way. His way only and always leads on a level path. You can't separate them. Our way is a crooked path. It's an uneven path. It's an uphill path. It's harder to climb. It's a downhill path. It's more treacherous. We have to be very careful. Why? Because of his foes, he says. We need the Lord's teaching and guidance because of the enemies, the spiritual enemies in this life. You all know in Ephesians 6, the Paul, uh, uh, Paul the apostle teaches us about spiritual warfare in the army of God, armor of God. We are in spiritual warfare. Wait patiently for his deliverance in time of trouble. Time of trouble. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, such as breathe out violence. Wait patiently for the Lord, for his deliverance. You know, it's when we take matters into our own hands that we often extend trials in life because we're not going to learn the lessons the Lord wants us to learn when we take matters into our own hands and I'm going to get out of this trial as fast as possible, any way possible, Maybe we succeed, but you know what happens then? The Lord's plan for our life is not going to be frustrated. We're going to experience a similar trial again. He doesn't give up on us. He wants to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, and he will use times of trouble to do that. Wait patiently with trust, believing in him. Look at what David writes here. These are beautiful words. 
I would have despaired. Have you ever despaired? Have you ever said, oh, woe is me? Have you ever worried and fretted? I can't figure this out. I don't know where my rent money's coming from. I don't know where I'm going to get money to buy food. I don't know how I'm going to find a job. Have you, how, have you ever despaired over anything? I'm sure we all have. He says, I would have despaired. He didn't, but he would have, and here's why he didn't. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Believe that. You will see, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, in what He has done for you on the cross when He bore the sins of the world, suffered, bled, and died, and then rose again. If you've believed that, that salvation is found only in what he did and not what you can try to do for God. Empty works. Then you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Some of it might be in this life, but throughout eternity, you will be in the land of the living. Those who will never die forever seeing the goodness of the Lord throughout all eternity. You know, little children sometimes cry over little things. They spill the last cup of chocolate milk, and there's no more in the house. They cry over that. They want more chocolate milk. Whatever it happens to be, what kind of parent would purpose in their heart I'm going to sacrifice my child's entire life just to make their first five years as trouble-free as possible, as tear-free as possible, as painless as possible, even though I know it's going to cause them problems later in life. They'll be selfish. They'll be self-centered. They'll expect everything to be centered around them. What kind of parent would knowingly, consciously think that through and say, I'm going to make their first five years the best and their next 85 years misery? This is God. Our life is just a drop in the bucket. He doesn't want us to have our best life now. He wants us to have our best life throughout all eternity. And this life prepares us for it. We're all like children. I've been saved over 49 years. I'm a child compared to what anyone is who's beholding the Lord's face in glory. Even if they were saved on their deathbed. I would have despaired unless I had believed. Believe God. Take Him at His word. It's the remedy for despair. And you will see the goodness of the Lord. Often in this life, who can say here this morning they have not experienced the goodness of the Lord? Look, even the unsaved experience sunshine and rain according to Christ's teaching in Matthew 5. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Has He not done so much more for us? What good thing 
can you name that God has ever withheld? If he's withheld it, it's not a good thing for us. might be a good thing for another person. It might even be a good thing for us in another part of our life. But it's not a good thing now. He withholds no good thing from us. You will see the Lord in the land of the living one day throughout all eternity. Wait patiently. It will give you courage and strength. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. He repeats it. It's so important. Waiting from the Lord. Those are, in this verse, those are called bookends. The books in between, be strong and let your heart take courage. It's a form of repetition. Truly, truly, we recognize that. Here, it's separated. What's in between is what the waiting will accomplish, what we should focus on. If you wait for the Lord, you will be strong and your heart will take courage. It's when we fret and worry and we try to do, accomplish things in our own strength. Get out from trials. Try to bring something we really are lusting for to pass. Fulfill an idol of the heart. Wait on Him. When you wait on Him, i got to do something. Sometimes we do. Dial 911. Sure, dial that as fast as you can. But other times, wait on the Lord. See what great things He will do. When we're not waiting, it's very hard to have courage because we're fretting and worrying. But when we're waiting, trusting in Him, believing we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, when we wait on Him, our heart will be encouraged and we will be strong in the strength of the Lord, the power of His might. Take this away. Always turn to the Lord first in all of life's circumstances and trust patiently in Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, indeed, You and You alone are our light. You and You alone are our salvation. Indeed, there is salvation found in none other. Only You, Lord Jesus, you're the only name given under heaven amongst men wherein we must call on to be saved. Oh Lord, we thank You that You are our defense, that You are our shield, our defender, our high tower. We thank You that You can, if You choose, protect us from anything that would try to harm us in this life. Oh Lord, we thank You that it's by Your grace that when you say to us, seek your face, that our heart responds and says, oh Lord, thy face, oh Lord, I shall seek. That it is you who sought us first so that we would seek you. You loved us first so that we would love you. And you show that love by sending your son to be the savior of the, Lord, of the world. And, oh, Lord, we confess that we are needy people. We need so much from you. And, Lord, we know that apart from the promises of your word, 
that one day we will see you face to face and we shall be like you, Lord Jesus, for we shall see you as you are. We know that apart from these great and precious promises found in your word, we would despair if we did not know the goodness of the Lord that is coming to us, all that you have for, in store for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we thank you that you have given us tastes of your goodness, even now in this life, that your, your word encourages us to taste and see that you are good. Thank you, Lord, that your goodness frees us from despair and worry. Lord, we confess that we are impatient people. Would you please continue in your long-suffering, your forbearance and your patience towards us? Would you convict us of the need to wait on the Lord? Yes, to wait on you. Strengthen us to do that so we might experience your strength so that our heart may not worry but have courage. We ask all this not merely for our blessing and benefit, but for the honor and glory of your name. Amen.